Hello, Derek Clapton. Good day to you, sir. Stand back. <laughs> I made a clap. Um, <laughs> this... Can't you just use clap as a verb? <laughs> yes. Okay. But that would be boring. Okay. Uh, this episode is a, mm, like you said before, uh, this is the equivalent of the teacher being like, ah, it's Friday afternoon, we're going to roll in the VCR and the TV instead of doing an actual episode. But for good reason. Because Car Week is now. Yes, happened, and so we are uh, getting in a quick and dirty Carmudgeon episode. I showered this morning. I did not. So it is quick and dirty. I'm quick, you're dirty. Yes, okay. <laughs> great. Uh, so yes, n- random number-generated car reviews, uh, thanks to the machinery uh, that Paulo has created for us. Elaborate machinery Yes, that's from right. the spreadsheet. If you've not uh, seen these episodes before, this is when Paolo, our esteemed producer, sits there with a random number generator, calls out a number, and we go back to our nerdy spreadsheets and pull up the number that the number of the car that we that corresponds to the number that Paolo pulls up and read our review in my case or recollect his review in Derek's case of that car. And um, we had a couple of fun ones this episode. I feel um, like we had an unwanted surprise Chrysler 200 review. Ah! Uh, the, well, the unstealable car. I mean, if you ever want a car that no one will notice or steal, even if you leave the keys in it, by God, that's it. Well, with an endorsement like that, Ta-da. you see what excitement lies ahead. Yes. Stay tuned to this, the 109th episode of the Carmudgeon Show. There might be some insights that we want to highlight. Okay. Or do you want to do that? Nope. You make a good point. You have convinced me of my wrongness. <laughs> it's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> it's not. Actually, you're annoying because you are. You have fact-based arguments uh, when I prefer sort of comedy-based <laughs> arguments. <laughs> Whatever's the funniest is what we're going with. Um, also the most offensive, but I can't say that because we are live on The Carmudgeon Show. Where nothing offensive ever happens, ever. Has mm. ever happened, nor will ever happen. All right. Um, okay. Well, I love that. We are currently, as of right now, at coming home from the Pebble That's right. Beach. It's Monday. It's Monday. After Car Week. Mm-hmm. Which means we have to get this uploaded and all done during Car Week. Mm-hmm. We hate you. We hate no, all no, of our no. listeners. This is a, a demonstration of how much we love them, actually, that we're willing to go through this trouble. Again, I like the comedy-based oh, so arguments, sorry. and you like the logic-based Let me know when you're stuff. finished, and then we'll get started. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Okay. <laughs> um, so, actually, it's, we, it's Paolo that needs to yes. rev up his random number generator and give, a, give us a number. I am at 2,749 cars, which means technically... Okay, here's the problem. I put 150 miles on a 2015 Chrysler 200 S V6. My condolences. Okay, hold on. This is this is this is p- perfect. Okay, so I make fun of my friend for his 2000 uh, his, his Chrysler 200 because my favorite Chrysler 200 story, which I don't think we've told on this show, right? Um, is this the GTI? That? No, 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 no. So when the car was new, we had, um, I was at Motor Trend and we had a blue on blue one. 
That's all I remember. <laughs> I remember it was V6. It was blue and blue. That's amazing. You remember the color. You never remember the color of anything. True. You're right, actually. And and the reason why was because it was all blue. The, the whole interior was blue. And I'm like, this is fucking like amazing. Car companies don't commit to colors anymore. I hate it. And I remember hating it, but thinking, well, at least it's there, right? At least somebody, somebody else will love it. And so we use that as one of the support vehicles for uh, Best Driver's Car. And so Best Driver's Car, I think we had 12 finalists with us. And we, when we take them on Highway 198 and we take them to Laguna Seca and da 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 It's a huge production with basically the whole staff. 200 was one of the support cars. And one morning I got stuck driving it from the hotel to this parking lot of a like uh, a hiking trailhead slash boat launch, like public park. We get there at 5.30 in the morning and I was on the team of finalists. It was me, Johnny Lieberman, and Angus McKenzie, who was editor-in-chief. And the three of us were going to take the three finalists once we decided. We had a big meeting, we decided everything, and then we get in the three finalists, which I remember was a Miata, two other cars. I don't remember what the hell. They were much, oh, AMG GT, and anyway. I parked the two the Blue Blue 200 sideways across two and a half handicap spots, and put it in park and put the keys on the center console right next to the, the shifter. We had rented the whole parking lot. So there was no, I was not inconveniencing any, many handy cripples, <clears throat> differently abled people. Um, and I left and like four o'clock, this was like five 30 or six in the morning. We rented the parking lot until like 10 or something. My phone rings when I come back to service and it's like the road test coordinator going, where the hell is the Chrysler? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was in the parking lot next to all of our other cars. And he's like, we don't have it. And I'm like, well, it's there. And he's like, where's the key? I'm like, in it. He's like, well, we're four hours away and you're two hours away. So can you guys go back and get it? Fine. So we drive two hours back to the parking lot and I'm like thinking the car's going to be gone. Like there's no way a car sat here for 12 hours and it's, it was still there. Which led us all to the hilarious conclusion that and it no, was invisible. It, yeah, no one would even steal one of these fucking cars, <laughs> much less buy one. So this has been the joke, and now of course a friend of mine has a, a, a 200s, and it, I drove it. I was like, "Holy shit!" First of all, it's stupid fast. It's front wheel drive and 295 horsepower. Oh, good, and not 295 like VTEC horsepower. 3.6 liter V6, same V6 that's in the minivan that makes the minivan quick. It's stupid. It's 5.6 to 60. It's so dumb. In a cloud of tire smoke from the front wheels. Yes. Uh, but it's the that one has the nine-speed automatic. So it's like bang, 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 bang. It's like unconscionably fast. And actually, it's a pretty good car to drive. And so I went back through my notes. And sure as shit, I said nice things about it. So I had... But not the color combination. No, but here's the, my notes from back in the day. From that blue-blue car, I put 176 miles on it, and that was July 23rd, 2015. This is entry 1,950. Um, and I said I was rather hard on this car last time, but this one isn't nearly as bad. Some of the body panels actually line up, and there's only one minor rattle in the headliner. The previous car was a total pile of shit. I remember that. Whiny V6 is far, far too vocal... Uh, and shakes the car at idle, but it sounds great echoing off the Jersey barrier at wide open throttle. I must admit, uh, I must admit, ZHP, a nine speed is too long legged for this all wheel drive car. They have the front wheel drive one has different gearing, uh, especially given the lack of low end torque. It's mighty quick when on the boil, but it's, you're always fighting it with it to move. Uh, occasionally clunk so severe, you might think the powertrain might drop out, but otherwise a better nine HP performance than I've experienced in other Chryslers. 
Not so much in the headroom department. This car is quite avant-garde. In the color department, a non-metallic bluish gray with blue and leather. It's about damn time, even if I don't personally like it. Suspension damping is very good. Airing on sporty, but it lost contact with the pavement a couple times. Once hugely when I jumped it about 50, 50 linear feet by mistake. Scraped a ton on the landing. <laughs> plural. <laughs> Landings. <laughs> it's plural. Decent LCD dash. Overall, not horrible. Then again, I didn't see the MSRP and I'm afraid <laughs> anyway go figure sometimes we remember a car being absolutely horrible and wretched pile well, of shit you, and it's not your first recollection of it is uh was shaped by the first one the first one. experience which yeah. was which was a i remember that car i can go back to those notes but it was a that was a, a 200 c which is the luxury model um pretty from some angles but awkward from others typical chrysler shit build quality or enormous and uneven pound gaps. I it just went on a whole paragraph of 113 mile mile rant, basically. Um, anyway, okay. So that's, those were that's bonus my, episodes. That was a Chrysler 200 bonus episode. Um, and that concludes this week's episode. Of no, the- not so fast. <laughs> Listen, we have to give our audience something while we're out hobnobbing and rubbing shoulders with the with the beautiful people <laughs> or uh pushing cars that have failed to proceed or whatever Why you got to be that way nonsense what are you driving down to unfolding citroen you're, you're going to be french yes i'm japanese this year yes uh, the honda beat is back on the road congratulations yes um after the world's longest timing belt <laughs> i looked it up it was six weeks i when i was younger i would always do I would start a project and wouldn't go to bed until I finished it. And there were many, many all-nighters and many times where I started a car at five o'clock in the morning, you know, and finally went to bed. And this time was as I had time, an hour here, an hour there. It was a fairly miserable job because there's not a lot of space, mm-hmm. um, but that's really it. Um, otherwise, it's straightforward. It's probably, if I had to do it again, I could probably do it in four hours, five hours. It's not that difficult. Um, the only thing I didn't do is I didn't do a valve adjustment because I can't be fucked um and uh yeah but i did an oil change i did timing belt water pump i did a full inspection uh, suspension inspection because there was some weird noise up front but seems to be fine i did a visual alignment measured with like manually with tape and string and um it's oh charged the air conditioning threw 134 in it and it's fucking cold was it not before no it was r12 but there was still some left in there so we just backfilled it to 134 with like the 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 fittings don't fit. They're not American R12 because I have American R12 adapter. Not me. A friend of mine has adapters, but uh, they didn't fit. So we could only get on the low side. So we just pumped it up to 15 psi while it was running, and I blew ice cold. And I have an air conditioned Japanese car, mid engined two seat Roadster, mm-hmm. my uh, from my Pebble Beach car this year. Okay. And I have no idea where my luggage is going to go. Yes, you have to put it in the front seat. I'm going to have to put it in the trunk of your car. Okay. <laughs> Gladly. I hope you have room. Yes. I was thinking of bringing a bicycle too. <laughs> Me too. I w- would love to bring a bike, but I don't, I can't imagine you're going to fit two bikes plus all of our luggage. Maybe I'll put the roof rack on. Oh, <gasps> you have a roof rack for that? I have a roof rack that I've put on my GTV6. I imagine it'll fit on the Citroen as well. I'm sorry. That like <laughs> murder gray color Citroen CX with a roof rack on it would look fucking. Oh, cool. everyone's putting roof racks on things. That's one of my pet peeves right now. Is roof yeah, but racks. you'd have two bikes on it. Yes. Yes. That's true. Anyway um okay give us a number who's starting i guess uh give me a number paolo since jason just gave us two uh chrysler 200s Un- also two unwanted chrysler 200 <laughs> <reviews>. involuntary <laughs> 736. 
736. Are we going to do this thing where we both do this? No, hold on. 736. I know how to count. I'm just not oh, very good at it. You got a good one. How do you know? Oh, I, for, for me, you. Yeah. Oh. Mine is 1957 Mercedes 300 SL Roadster. Shocker. It how many of them have you driven? Silver. Uh, Roadsters or 300 SL? Just generally? do a search One, for three. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Oh sixteen. You've driven. Th- oh wait, seventeen, eighteen. I there was. Uh, I lost two. There was. It was a couple intermediate models here that weren't SLs. So I stopped counting. You've driven more <laughs> Gullwing slash 300 SL Roadsters than you have, than most people drive cars in their life. Well, like I said, I'm a whore. No, I mean, okay. it's, it's a used car salesman. This yeah. is used car salesman. It's amazing. Uh, we've talked a lot about W198s and how great they are. This one, let's see, silver. This one had European headlights and I think it had a hard top. It's undated. So that means it was very early. This must've been one of the first 300 SLs that I drove, but it was a silver drum brake Roadster with mm. European headlights probably 2013 or something like that 14 I love those cars i do too i mean there's i have nothing to add beyond which what we already have said about this these cars which is that they're just fantastic amazing okay my number 736 is a 2009 bmw m3 uh coupe with the dct that i put 416 miles on for a story that we did uh, for Automobile Magazine, actually, we won a shit ton of awards for this one. Uh, it was a really funny hypermiling story. Oh. Um, I found three cars that had the same EPA rating, 14 city, 20 highway. How I remember this shit. Um, and it was an M3, uh, Infinity M45X. Wow. Or 56X. It might have been 45. Let me see if I drove that car first. No. Um, and then a, it was a truck if I remember correctly. Um, and so we had three cars, same EPA rating, and I did this enormous loop from starting in LA uh, and then f- winding up back in LA, I think it was. Um, and it was a mix of country, highway, city, all everything, all of the above. Uh, and I won it with 25.0 miles per gallon overall. In the um, M3. In the M3, which was tough because we sat in traffic for an hour in the morning. Um, but so there you were got a bunch 25 of, MPG on a 20 miles per gallon EPA sticker. On a 1420. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was all of the tricks. The DCT, so my trick is always go to the highest gear possible immediately and full throttle. So we're 75 to 90% throttle, which is reducing pumping losses because as we know, part of the advantage of diesels over gasoline engines is diesels don't run a throttle. A throttle actually restricts the engine's air and thus makes it less efficient because it's struggling to get air. Uh, so you can reduce the or eliminate the, the throttle throttling losses by just running wide open. You don't want full throttle because you don't want full throttle enrichment, mm-hmm. which some cars do, some don't. I didn't know. So just you go to 85 or 90% throttle um, and accelerate that way and then always stay in top gear. Uh, but I was like, I turned it off going like on the highway, these miles long downhills where it's off. I just did 49, 50 miles an hour in the right lane. It was a, uh, it was a funny story. Um, if it's still online, cause automobile, automobile's gone and motor trend took over all of its content and half of it's broken, but I'll see if I can find a link for it. But I definitely have pictures of it. I taped all the seams on the front end of the car. I was, <laughs> I was badly behaved. But I won. Because you wanted to win. This is like that thing that Top Gear did where they, what, what did they do with a Prius and an M3? Oh, they drove the Prius yeah. as fast as it would possibly go around a lap. And then they just had the M3 keep Follow up. It. Yeah. 
uh, and I, if I remember, or the, I mean, I'm sure they arranged it such because given their uh, agenda, uh, I think that the Prius got inferior economy in that's yeah. those circumstances compared to the E90 M3 or E92. Unfortunately, there have been uh, lawsuits that have proven that uh, Top Gear wasn't always perfectly factual and would sometimes come up with a story even if it conflicted with reality. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's one of them, but it wouldn't surprise me that that thing flat out being completely abused uh, would use... More fuel than an M3 sort of just... Although, actually, no. Because I have driven... I have done horrible shit in Priuses and still gotten 30 miles per gallon out of them. I mean, Mm. driven like a complete lunatic for an entire tank of gas through city traffic. And you can't... Yeah, so I... Racetrack is different. Racetrack is different, to be fair. Have you seen the way I drive in Uh, in cities that are in Mexico? uh, Santa. Santa Francisco. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Hey, okay. All right. Next number. Paolo passed out. He was so bored. <laughs> you said Prius. 2708. Uh, ooh. Okay. This is an interesting one. Uh, 2023 BMW 760i xDrive. So that's the current brand new 7 Series. Uh, wow, this thing is enormous. The only thing bigger than this thing is the fucking enormous paragraph that I wrote about what it. What was the date on this? Uh, February 10th, 2023, this year. Oh, you dropped by my house in this thing. It Yes, I did. Um, this is a really interesting one because I've been holding the hashtag Camisa verdict for uh, to do a comparison between it and the i7. There's the electric version of the same car, which I preferred. Mm. Um, and I haven't gone through the notes already uh, my what i remember was it was enormous and it was the the hood is too high oops hit the microphone sorry too high and hit the microphone again and almost perfectly horizontal um because it's a ghost I mean, it's a rolls royce ghost and you can't see over the hood down sort of below you you could like r- easily run over a kid and not see them um and it's a really big problem on crests of hills in san francisco because you're going up a huge hill that now crests and you can't, you can genuinely see fucking nothing. Yeah. Um, and there were many, many times where I inched through an intersection going, I hope no one's coming because I genuinely can't see them. Um, and then the other, the thing that really upset me the most is uh, backseat passengers can change the mode. BMW got rid of driving modes. There's no like comfort sports Sport plus for that car. Um, there are themes like, like, I don't know, there's one like relax or whatever the fuck they're called. And it changes all the ambient lighting and changes the engine sound and all the rest of the stuff. But it also changes the fucking brake feel and the gauges. Mm. And my backseat passengers were constantly changing the modes. And I thought, this is not okay. That somebody in the backseat, I had no fucking, I had a little tiny speedometer in my heads up display and one in the corner of the thing, but no tack, no other gauges anymore. And the brake pedal feel went totally wooden because it was in like, happy fucking like pilled out Valium mode. Um, And I think this is so unconscionably dangerous that I don't care about the rest of the car. Fuck the opposite of the ultimate driving machine. Yeah, there's no no ultimate driving machine left. Uh, And I got 10.6 miles per gallon out of it. Uh, And what is the powertrain? Is it a turbocharged V12? It's a twin turbo V12. No, no, 60, silly boy, is now the 4.4 liter twin turbo V8, but with 48 volt micro hybrid assistance. And it still was 10 miles per gallon. Ten, no, it's 11. It's 10.6. It rounds up to 11. Um, <sighs> the car's it's a really nice luxury car, but there's nothing sporty left about it. And um, I am not 
ultimately a nice 9 or 11 series, because it's so big, compromised by space inefficiency, a catastrophe of a UX, and overwrought styling, is what my verdict was. Um, yeah. Sounds have, right for modern BMW. Yeah, some of them are better than others. That i4, that, you know, some of the new cars are not that bad. I mean, they're not really for us anymore. They're not enthusiast cars anymore, but... We're a long way from 10 best everything. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a 2708? I do or? not. Okay. Probably going to have to give Derek a lower number <laughs> until he drives 150,000 more 300 SLs. 281. 281. Okay. 281 is... Huh. 2001 Dodge Viper GTS. Yellow. Damn. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny that you would put colors in there when I don't ever notice colors and don't remember them. Um, it helps me remember the car. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, right. I wouldn't necessarily remember the car. Um, so, yeah, this is a first-generation Viper, although I guess it's like first and a half because it's a GTS. It's a coupe. Um, I remember thinking, it, I, th I remember expecting it was going to be kind of shitty, and it wasn't as shitty as I thought it was going to be. Very long gearing. I remember that. Like, lots of torque. You know, not revy. Doesn't, it's not that musical. It's just this big, beastly kind of apparatus but i remember my overall impression of that car was that it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be okay <laughs> i've never driven one first gen so yeah. apparently there's a big difference between the coupes and the uh, roadsters hmm. the early roadsters too i expected to be a truck i mean you know even the the last of them were they felt like you were driving a, a you know a yeah. low a, a slammed pickup truck yeah and then at the limit they wound up being miatas they were super yeah, I don't know if the early ones are like that. They're more terrifying yeah. as far as I understand. I, I went around one cloverleaf and then I was like, okay, that's more, more than enough <laughs> for, for my... I, I, I mean, it, it has personality. It has character. It's interesting enough. It's, you know, it's a good... Depending what you're comparing it against. But yeah, it was, it was entertaining. I wasn't bored. I was interested okay. in the experience. That's good. Um, all right. Mine is June 25th, 2007. I drove a 2007 Mercedes CLK 550 Cabriolet, 25 miles. Lots of scuttle shake, weird engine note, insanely maniacal sounding, but a little hissy. Oh, those are the, when Mercedes were really quiet, they all would sometimes get a <laughs> to the exhaust. Mm, lovely. Paddle buttons are better than before. Hysterically fast and fun, but a Boca Raton cruiser. Like it much better than the last one though, mostly because of the engine. The 550 motor was a, yeah. was a monster. It's a 276 or mm -hmm. something. Yep. M276. M2 something or other. Or 73. Uh, Paolo? We've lost him again. <laughs> 281? No, we just did we that. We just did that one. We've definitely lost Paolo. Uh, hopefully the audience isn't as bored as, <laughs> as Paolo is. <laughs> Ooh. 648. Uh -huh. 1971, the 14th of July, 2014. 1971 Lancia Fulvia HF Coupe Red. <laughs> oh, HF, high fidelity. That's the spicy one. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, these cars are epically good. Have you driven a Fulvia yet? Mm -hmm. um, nope. It's front wheel drive, narrow angle V4. Lot Like the carburetors, you open the engine compartment on the hot ones and the carburetors are as large as the engine, like dimensionally, mm -hmm. like it's 50% carburetor, 50% <laughs> engine. Uh, so they're like, you know, it's deeply over carbureted. It's 1.3 liters with like big Webers on it. Uh, and so they have this very over-carbureted feel. It's very charming, uh, but they are, you know, you can't, it, 
depending on how it's set up, you can sort of cruise along, or but uh, the, the spicier ones kind of don't like that. Hmm. Uh, but yes, this was a homologated rally car, effectively the HF. So they, you know, this was before the Stratos. This was them reaching the limit of front-wheel drive four-cylinder cars for rally purposes because it started as a sort of like, I don't know, small, uh, well, not by European standards, but by U.S. standards, small car that was intended for like regular consumption. And they're like, oh, we could like hop this thing up and go rallying, and mm-hmm. it's actually pretty decent. Uh, and so, yeah, the HF, which, you know, stands for Hi-Fi because that was the group of people who were super loyal to Lancia. Uh, they are really just hilarious rally cars for mm. the road that are really entertaining. I need to drive one. I mean, the fact that it's a VR4 right off yes. the bat, like I want to hear that. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my number 648 is on uh, September 17, 2008, which was a very busy day because it was a, a launch for the 2009 Jetta TDI manual. So I had drove oh. that day. I drove Jetta Sport Wagon, Jetta TDI, like all the different. Um, and this is uh, when uh, they are putting forth TDI as an alternative to hybridization yeah. from Han- uh, from Toyota. Yeah. So like, no, we'll get the same number of MPGs, but we'll do it in a more exciting clean way clean diesel wow that age way um okay i still like i like the clutch uh, the shifter and clutch a lot it's very easy to drive this tdi it's also quite easy to stall it which is a surprise not coming in a diesel revs will revs well enough on a blip but it's completely dead over four thousand. it'll barely make five thousand. quite different from the crv diesel which will pull the 4700 CRV and then drop a little bit diesel Bosch brought in, um, I must have just recently driven that, a TDI or a, a turbo direct injected, um, I guess it probably is TDI because it's Bosch, a diesel CRV, um, uh, and then gave it to me for a week as part of like, you know, a campaign where they sort here? of gave, yeah. But they um, never sold that vehicle. They here. never sold it. The reason why is they could not, and they told me, and I'm so stupid, they're like, we can't get close to the US emissions standards. We don't know how Volkswagen's doing it. That should have been all of our indication that something was up. But they're like, VW has a special sauce. We can't get close. What do you think of this car? And I, well, I can read it in a second. Um, but uh, I'm curious to see what my notes were. But I remember liking that CRV a lot and thinking, wow, this would be fucking awesome. It's actually way better of an engine for the US market. All the diesels were. Um, let me see. Blah, blah, blah. Um, not so much off the line. TDI struggles as we get the car moving. Still, I'd prefer this to the 2.5 on a daily driver basis. A great diesel engine, even if it's not as good as Honda's and a great car. Okay, let me find that CRV. Um, CRV. How the hell do I? Pre production CRV. The hyphen? Uh, this is going to be a. CR hyphen V. CRV diesel Eurospec. So this was August 2908. I put 152 miles on it. I got 34.5 miles per gallon out of this thing. Steering is accurate. Ride is very good. Shifter is fabulous. Pulls hard right to 5,000 RPM. Lots of lag after shifts and off idle. Unbelievably smooth and quiet even after a cold start. Blippy and easy to rev. So quiet with without sound deadening just in the motor's design itself. Best diesel I've ever driven but could use a little less lag. City was 26.4 miles per gallon, indicated with air conditioning, redlining, every gear, blip downshifts, and cruising in fourth instead of sixth. Quick around town, not insanely fast on the highway, but that's to be expected. Was it a manual? Yeah, it was a manual. Overall fuel economy was 29.4. Oh, 34 and a half was on the highway. Um, 29.4. For the full tank, I got 33.25. Like, the thing was just amazing. Um, yeah, so... Whoopsie. Well, this is the future that Volkswagen tried to imagine for us, but was uh, unable. 
Yeah, because everyone died of asthma. Yes. Oops. Sorry. Should have caught that one. Right. 2025. Do you not have one of those? Mm-mm. Ooh, E30. 1992 BMW 318 IS convertible. 50 miles on it in 2015. Not a winner. (laughs) (laughs) This M42 makes all kinds of noises, but no power and has no personality. The front end is so much lighter than the M20s though, and the car changes direction much more willingly. This particular example is a bit tired in the suspension and steering department, but I maintain that the E30 is as much about the M20 engine as it is about the car. Mm. Ouch. Yeah, sorry for anyone who's got an M42 engine E30. I hate them. Well, how do the M10 ones? I hate them even more. Yeah. They're they're just as hateful, but slower. M10, these are the four cylinders. Yeah. The single cam and the, and the twin cam four cylinders. I maintain that BMW was either tied or above Mercedes at all points in the straight six department from ni- 1970s on. Um, as soon as they introduced a six cylinder, in other words. With your facts, yes, uh, that's yeah. not I mean, true. Also, they had a six-cylinder engine that really. they developed in the before World War II. But um, which was you know, sort of in the, through the eighties, Mercedes six-cylinders were really great, but BMWs were really great and had personality. Yes, on top of it. the Mercedes ones don't have much personality, yeah. with the um, exception of the M110. <laughs> uh, the M110 is not bad. M104 well, yeah. isn't bad either. Yeah. Um, but that's you know, but this that's kind of details. But BMWs straight sixes are magic, and they defined the experience of those cars. And I. Th- Think at the same time, BMW made some of the least, interestingly, some of the least personable, talkative, interesting four-cylinders on the market. They're just, yeah. from the S14 to the M10, to, the M10 was the engine in BMW 2002. And that is, it is a device to make power for a car that is otherwise wonderful. Like, the, the engine is just present. Mm. You can spice them up. Which is funny because they put two cylinders on it and created one of the greatest six cylinders of all, of all time. time. Yeah, strange. Um, two of them, actually, if you include the twin cam version. The M30 and the uh, the M88. Oh, okay. That's what you mean. Yes. When they made a yes. twin cam when version. when they made the, the big... The, Motorsport the, version. Yes, sorry. I was thinking of the M20 and I'm like... Rrr. Okay, no. yeah. M30 and yeah. M88. M88. Um, okay, slash S38. 10... Interesting. That's an old one. I don't remember this. Um, go. 1994 Porsche Speedster, black with sport seats. Uh, yeah, 964 Speedster. They made 462, I think, of these. So there were obviously Porsche has made a bunch of Speedsters. The first one was a 356. This was originally to get the car to be as cheap as possible, so that. You know, at Max Hoffman's request, who was the U.S. distributor for a lot of cars that were European, including Porsche. Uh, and he said, guys, give me a cheaper Porsche so that these cars can ap- start to approach the prices of British sports cars like Triumphs and MGs. Uh, and so they took a bunch of shit out of the car and then created the Speedster, which is now the most valuable version. But at the That's time, so it was crazy. the least expensive. The goal was to get it under $3,000 and the car was twenty nine ninety five. Mm-hmm. So that was the original Speedster. They got really collectible. Uh, and then with the sort of consumption-minded 80s and all the madness around collector cars in the 80s, Porsche then did a Speedster version of the 911, uh, and it was like 65 grand at a time when a regular 911 was like 60 grand or something like that, a regular 911 Cabriolet. Um, 
I think, or maybe it was the same or slightly less. In any case, the Speedster was similarly priced to the Cabriolet, but again, they took stuff out. They took the bat seats out, lower windscreen, uh, wind-up windows, got rid of the central locking, and in the U.S., they also had turbo flares. Uh, and then they did a third generation of that for 964. Uh, again, the car wasn't really that much more expensive than the regular cars, and that was representative of the early 90s for Porsche when they needed to you know, be selling, they were basically repackaging the same damn car over mm -hmm. and over again to try and move product because nobody was buying any cars in that era. So unimaginable now, right? unimaginable now that a speedster right. would, they'd be like, well, how are we going to sell the RSs and speedsters, oh you know, God. or we just create yeah. the RS. That was the deal with the RS America also in 93 was they're like, okay, it's going to be 54,995 or whatever it is. It was mm -hmm. under $55,000 for a 911. It was the cheapest 911 you could buy was the RS because they took stuff out so it could be cheaper. And the goal was to just try and sell <laughs> 911s uh, in the early 90s. So it's this funny like footnote of a particular era in Porsche's history. Their 964 species are still not that collectible generally. I mean, they're 200 grand. Um, we, but, you know. Welcome to, to Earth, Derek. I, I, well, they just, um, they, their prices haven't changed much in the last several years the way that a lot of other models have, I guess is what I mean by that. Why um, do you think that is? Uh, I don't think the experience is that great i mean if you like convertibles it's a better way to well and to be fair a cabriolet is like 50 or 60 grand and a speedster is 200 grand so you know they are a lot more expensive but uh you know a modern speedster costs more money but it's you know it's a gt3 powertrain which they were not doing back yeah. then uh anyway these are pretty rare cars they're all narrow bodies except for like maybe 15 or 20 of them i think they made wide body ones with turbo flares and wheels and brakes on them and those are pretty cool looking but mm -hmm. they never I sold those i think in the u.s those are all european cars anyway i just remember this thing was incredibly difficult to sell because nobody gave a shit mm. that was okay. a different era uh, all right, uh, 1035. August 13, 2010, I drove an Audi A8, a 2011 Audi A8, uh, five whole miles. Absolutely spectacular to look at. Spin, a small, thin wheel helps this car feel three full sizes smaller than the S-Class. Quite quick, but most importantly, the transmission is butter, and the engine is a high-pitched, quiet screamer. Fantastic. Horrible shifter is dangerous. You never know what gear you're in. MMI's interface has gotten more confusing with too many buttons, but the pad is absolutely phenomenal. Steering got on my nerves already with the stupid Audi drive select, but what a stunner, and it's big enough in the backseat that no A8L will ever be necessary. Stunning wood and brushed aluminum, brushed stainless slash aluminum accents inside. So as, as usual, it's an Audi with a lovely powertrain and beautiful, and I hate the way it drives. Par <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the course. Par for the course. Paolo. Do you have one this high? Mm -mm. I have another. Um... Uh, October 16th, 2014, I drove a 2015 Golf DSG 1.8T Mark 7. Um, my word, this feels like it could be a Mercedes. So soft and is squishy. This is a Mark 7? Mark 7. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, soft and squishy, but incredibly refined and grown up with what is possibly the most rattle-free interior of all cars at the North American Car and Truck of the Year contest. This was at Motor Trend. Uh, it is the world's best $60,000 car, and it comes standard with a $35,000 discount. Unbelievable. That's where the, I use that line all the time. The GTI is the best, world's best $50,000 car, but it comes with a 50% off sticker. Apparently, I wrote it there first in 2014. Um, yeah, unbelievable. I would say that that I agree with that today. The Mark 7. The Mark 7.0 is... Yeah, as opposed to the facelift, which got a little cheaper. 7.5 got a little rattly. Mm -hmm. um, but the... Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, like, you know, the, the car immediately before the same day, we drove like, you know, 50 cars. What a disappointment for the Honda Fit. Um, you know, this can't compete with the Golf or the Mini Cooper. I mean, everything I see right here is like, can't compete with the Golf, can't compete with the Golf. Can't. Camry, what shockingly good. Um, what the hell was that? I mean, there are so many cars. I don't know. MKC. I mean, if I think about, if I look at the list of cars I drove that week, uh, I drove an i3, a C300, Mini Cooper S hardtop, Fit Manual, Golf DSG, Camry XSE, Mazda 6 Automatic, Ford F-150 2.7 EcoBoost, Chevy Colorado Z71, Audi Q3, GLA 254 Matic, Nissan Murano, Toyota Highlander V6, just a used car Lincoln <laughs> MKC 2.3T, Hyundai Genesis, we're only in two days, Genesis 5 liter, C400 4 Matic, Mustang EcoBoost uh, Automatic, and then... Grand Cherokee Overland Diesel, Volvo XC60, C300 Formatic, X4 XDrive 28i, IS350 F Sport, A3 Cabriolet 1.8 Turbo Front Wheel Drive, Jeep Renegade 2.4 Limited, Renegade 2.4 Trackhawk, Renegade 1.4 Sport, Colorado Z71. I'm going, I'm doing this for a reason. Alpina B6, MKC 2.3T. We're only on day two. Oh, and that was it. Okay. That was MKC is the one I drove home. That is what it's like to do like a car and truck of the year. Like you, if that's the reason I take all these notes, because how the fuck could you possibly remember? That's what, 25 cars yeah. in two days. So <clears throat> yeah, I don't remember any of them. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I did jump the Jeep and I jumped, actually, I really jumped the uh, GMC Acadia or whatever that was, the GM one. That was bad. Didn't land well. Anyway, <laughs> we were not your car. Well, we were off-roading. I mean, you know, we, we do that. An off-road thing and an on-road thing and a track thing and whatever. What's your? Five sixty. Okay. Ooh. Five sixty. While you look, I drove a two thousand eight Suzuki XL seven. Oh, that's the uh, Vitara Grand Vitara. Um, that's like their version of the modern, the, the replacement. The, I replacement. Think, of the, the Grand Vitara. Uh, but I said I didn't realize this thing was so GM. GM key, instrument panel, HVAC controls, nav, engine, you name it. Is this a Trailblazer rebadge? Either way, it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. And it's loaded. The reverse camera in the rearview mirror is tiny and doesn't do a good job, but otherwise everything works as expected. Okay. Not a crucifixion. I don't remember what that car even looks like. Uh, neither. I don't know that I ever knew. <laughs> 4th of February, 2017, 1961 Jaguar E-Type. Oh, it's a 61. Early car. Uh, open two-seater. British Racing Green with suede green interior. Ooh. Suede is the color name. It's not the material. So oh. it's, le- it's green leather. It's, it was dark green with green interior. Okay. Uh, so like that Chrysler 200, just with a little with yellow green. sprinkled on it. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, the early E-types are definitely a unique breed. This car, I, I'm looking forward at some point to doing a BTS on the E-type because it is one of the most significant cars of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and I would love to explain why, but I'm not going to do that in full length here. Uh, but a really incredible car that was the most technically innovative car that you could buy in the world at the time, and it cost less than most other sports cars, like kind of half as much or a third as much as like a Ferrari and, uh, or half as much as an Aston Martin. Uh, so they're really important, critical cars to sports carring. Uh, and this, the early ones have a bunch of unique characteristics that are kind of annoying, and this was one of those cars, but they're somehow more valuable because of that, uh, and it was green because on green. good cars suck. 
Yeah, but it's like there's nowhere to put your feet, for example. So? And like the hood opens sometimes when you don't want it to. Whatever. Uh, but it's front hinged, so it generally the wind keeps it closed. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so yes, we that's like, the early E-type. We like bad cars. Follow. Do you have that? Are you going there? No. I, okay. Uh-oh. Uh, this is May 1st, 2016. I had a pre-production 2017 Aston Martin V12 Vantage S 7-speed manual. Uh. I put 985 miles on that car. Um, finally, a V12 Vantage that I like more than the V8. The dog leg is awesome. Short, high effort throws. Heavy clutch, but positive engagement. Blah, 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 blah. I'm just, there's a huge paragraph here, but I'm not going to read it. Um, I'd have it in an instant over any other sports car in the market and every single supercar. And that still remains true. That is the one sort of outrageously expensive car that I could still see myself in. I want one. That is quite the endorsement. Yeah. We had that car on a dry lake bed. We had that car on a racetrack. We had that car in city traffic. Uh, and then we got that car back for uh, best driver's car and it came dead fucking last. Um, and I still wanted it. And it came in dead fucking last because here's a little bit of inside baseball. Best driver's car and uh, is Motor Trend and uh, Road and Track has performance car of the year. And actually, if you take the judging criteria, they should be reversed. So Road and Track was really about... Merton Track's P-Code, Performance Car of the Year, was really about the car that makes you feel great and the car that you want to drive and whatever. So a Miata could very easily win, uh, could win. Because it's uh, so many subjective characteristics. Right, which should have been called the best driver's car because that's what yes. we we're really looking like, looking at. And then Motor Trends... Um, is more performance. Is more figures, like, you know, metrics. Randy was getting lap times and everyone was valuing those lap times and I couldn't give a shit less. And I'm like, guys, it doesn't matter. The fucking, this is called performance. Uh, this is called best driver's car. And the best driver's car that year was, was without question that Aston Martin V12 Vantage S seven speed dog leg goddamn fucking manual. And it came in dead last because it was slowest and blah, 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 blah. And um, yeah, so that should have been called best driver's car. Anyway, um, that is, that's the one that got away. The one that I still can't afford, but dream about all the time. Yeah, I I really enjoy those cars. Even six speeds, I don't mind them. Yeah, They're, I mean, I'll take one. But the seven was just you know, it got the S motor with variable valve timing, so much mm -hmm. more high rev urgency and stupid short gear ratios, and that's what did it for me. Same overall max speed in gears as a Miata, but with five hundred sixty two horsepower and one additional gear because that's the difference between Miata top speed and Aston Martin top yeah, speed. Exactly. <laughs> Not that I would give a shit. I think it did 202 some Who whatever cares? the fuck. Yeah, it didn't matter. Um yeah, I, I adore mean, those cars. I think they'll age beautifully. Although with the Valor back on the V12 manual transmission thing. Yeah, but it's that turbo V12. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. Um I haven't driven the Valor. Obviously, I haven't seen one in person. We will probably have already seen one last week and in Monterey, which hasn't happened yet, but already happened. Yes. Um, yeah, but I'm, I hope that values of those seven speeds stay consistent because they're right at MSRP now for, for a really nice car, um, which means 200 and something thousand dollars. And I want to be able to buy one. So if they stay steady and don't go crazy, I can have one. You should do it. You think I should spend $200,000 on a car? Yeah. The sales tax bill on that car alone... You know how everyone has a solution to this that they have engineered. Yeah, they get Montana plates. But my the, this is my problem, is the sales tax bill on the car 
will be more than I spent well, on almost all of my cars. Like I, it's an order of magnitude greater than I've ever done. And that's not my shtick. I mean, sure. What would I rather have? Like money in my bank account, like a 401k or a V12 Vantage S manual seven speed? Obviously the Aston, but I also can't like, I got to eat. <laughs> so I don't Weird. know. Maybe I should stop eating. Maybe I wouldn't be so fat. Anyway, okay. Well, we just solved all your problems. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat ramen <laughs> once a week and uh, drive it in your not in your Aston Martin next to not while next, you're looking while, at your Aston while looking Martin. at the gas pump that I can't afford to use. <laughs> yes, perfect. All right, Paulo. Okay, this is the last one. The last one already. Three ninety one. <clears throat> oh, okay. twenty three ninety one was that Range Rover we just drove. Um, twenty three ninety one, three ninety one. Ah, this is a weird one. A nineteen eighty five Ferrari Testarossa Monospecchio, red on saddle, fifth of June two thousand fifteen. Um, I'm waiting for the like the date to line up or the car. Like we both drove the same car. Yeah, same we number. haven't. Yeah. We haven't gotten that. Next time yet. we do this episode, we're gonna just go until that happens. Or, be, uh, sorry, it's gonna be, ladies and gentlemen, the four-hour curmudgeon episode sponsored by no one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and watched by absolutely no one. Uh, Tester is a monospecchio. Yeah, so everyone likes the monospecchio. Monospecchio is the single flying mirror the, on the left side of the well, driver's side of the car. Uh, this is the earliest form of that car, aesthetically most pure. It's a kind of a weird characteristic that is, I think, unrealistic or unnecessarily fetishized. Like to me, there's no meaningful difference between those early cars. Like they have a few more strange features. They have center lock uh, wheels. Center lock wheels. The placement of the odometer is like an interesting one because the oh. odometer is not in the, the gauge cluster. Mm -hmm. It's in its own little compartment on the center console. So like that's, I guess, weird. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these cars are great to look at. Not that exciting to drive. Uh, this is another car that I think is subject to the um tendency for people to lust after a car their entire lives and then buy one and convince themselves that they like it because it's a testrosa uh but if you know it's not a hard car to drive and so that's charming but it's got long overhangs and the suspension's kind of soft and it's uh you know just a pleasant touring car uh, and it uh, doesn't do the things that most people expect a Ferrari to do when they're a child and they're looking at a shape like that. But and they, it certainly doesn't deliver on the experience that its looks promise. Yes. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a seven series. It's like a seven series with good steering and the engine behind you, but it's slower. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the seven series. Yeah. yeah. I mean, against an E23, it's obviously not yeah. slower, but yeah, um, they're, they're nice to drive. You just can't have an expectation of like thrill, Sportiness. life on the edge there's yeah. no sportiness at all yeah um but that doesn't make them bad cars it's just i i always have a problem with cars that contradict their looks like 850i is the same way like i really love the way of the i don't think it I makes looks. that much of a contradiction of how it looks to me it looks like a big elegant sort of touring car i think it looks sportier than that Really? I, mean, I think it oh, looks it's so big though. I know, but it's still, it's styled to look, I, I see your Aggressive. point, but it's, you know, in the same way that the Testarossa looks like it's like a fucking monster, a fire breathing monster, and then becomes just civilized. I don't like the idea of a GT that looks anything other than like a Bentley Conti. Like a Conti, a Con Bentley Continental, those look like Grand Touring cars. They're not compromised in terms of space. Like you have a little bit of a back seat that's usable. You have a, you know, short overhangs. Like the car has a big trunk, and it's you want to get in and drive it and use it every day um, for long distance drives. And you just 
like who the fuck wants to deal with a turning radius the size of New Jersey for like in a Testarossa? You can't use it every day. So I think a lot she, of people do, but they are like the kind of people who are like slightly unhinged who are like, I'm going to drive a Lotus seven every day or, you know, I'd rather drive an Elise every day than a, than a Testarossa. You can't move in those cars until they're warmed up. You literally can't. I mean, we've discussed this yeah. together. I don't think we've discussed this on camera, but or maybe we have. I think we have. You the, literally, the CIS in those cars is really, really wacko. And you think that something's wrong with the car, and then you realize every single Testarossa that has CIS, which is all of them until the 512TR, which went to Metronic, uh, when they're cold, the throttle is basically not doing anything. There's nothing. Like you, you just, nothing happens, and then all of a sudden it's 4,000 RPM, and those are your choices. Nothing right. or 4,000 RPM. Right. And so, I mean, if you got, if I had to leave my driveway and head up my hill, the answer is no. Like it literally will not go. Uh, this is not a, oh, it's stumbly or it's a little bit cranky or a little cantankerous. So you got to drive around it. There is no driving around it. You just have no choice but to wait till the things warm you up. You do really slow clutch actuations and don't touch the throttle. That's right. the way that we would do it. But you can't do that up a hill or at a stall. Yes, correct. And then you can't accelerate from a stoplight. There's nothing you can do. And that, to me, ruins the idea that that car should be everyday drivable. Um, that plus the turning radius plus the scraping and, you know, and whatever else. And so I, at that point, make it the shape of a Bentley. Mm. So that's fine. Then you buy a 400i. Yes, that would work. With carburetors, we'd get a 400, so yeah, it doesn't Or have 365. A, how are they when they're cold? Um, it's carburetor. It's a bunch of Webers. It's, but like you a 400i, though. Oh, so uh, yeah, they're cool. not great either. But, you know, you buy a carbureted one. Okay. Um, my number 391 is a 2008 Mercedes C300 Sport 6-speed. Which I totally... What year is this? Sorry, 08. 08. So this is a W204. Mm -hmm. That's the transmission that I need uh, to convert. Uh, that, that transmission bolts up to the back of an M104. So if you ever need to convert an M104 to a stick shift, that's the transmission you need. Oh, okay. I don't remember this having a, a, a six-speed available. Um, I quite like this car, though I fear I couldn't own one because it won't let you turn off ESP and the chassis loves to be sideways. It's easy to drive, comfortable, and the right size. I like most of the controls, though I don't like the foot-operated parking brake, especially with a stick. What was wrong with me? Oh, yeah, you can do e-brake slides. <laughs> and I don't like the display without navigation. Command is too cumbersome not to have any benefit from it. I definitely like the 3 Series better as it just fits me better and the motors aren't in the same league as far as smoothness goes, but the C is great. It was a V6. It was a 3 liter yeah. V6. Um, I totally forgot that car came with a manual. Yeah. Um, Very rare. Well, press car. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I love this. I love these uh, numbers games. Okay. Go back we up. have okay. been had plug pulled on us. Uh, Paolo, episode. you can blame this short episode on Paolo, who's over there giggling, cackling maniacally. <laughs> um, so next episode will be after we have our action. debrief of Car Week. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which, so. if you don't think you're interested in Car Week, hang tight, because there's kind of something for everyone. Um, it's pretty, every, every year I say I'm not going back, and yet uh, here I am. No, no, it's, a, I mean, if you like cars, it's just absolute overload, so... You know, you should, it's worth the pilgrimage at some point Yeah, to make. Yep. And it's worth listening to us babble about it next week. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have some fun stories. I'm sure we'll have something. Okay. Until then, ta-ta. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Carmudgeon Show. This has been episode, and we'll see you for episode. 109? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. 109. 109. All right. Sure. Bye. See you.